Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, January 25th, 2023, the 735th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do in this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide range of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday in my discussion of the subject of election fraud finally being broached on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, I was talking about people who have been looked at as 
centrist or right of center or conservative influencers with big platforms over the last few years. People who are listened to by probably many people in my audience, people like Ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire crew, Joe Rogan, Tim Poole, some others, and why they've avoided talking about certain subjects over these last few years, eventually leading their audiences to a place where they doubt some of the central narrative because the central narrative is just too crazy at this point. It's too far left. It's too detached from reality. So people need to go somewhere else. And what these people with these big platforms provide is a place that they can move away from the extreme elements of the central narrative and the extreme elements of the left, but also still stay firmly attached to the central narrative inside that informational bubble. And once they've moved away from the extremes to the comfortable place provided by these people, they usually stay there. And the problem is, while they have moved in our direction in certain ways, they are still firmly attached to the central narrative, totally inside that informational bubble. And while you're there, you're not awake. You're still on that team. You are still locked six months or a year or a year and a half or longer in an informational past. And you don't have the information necessary. You're not observing reality and reacting to reality. You are trying to interact with reality based on information that expired a long time ago. And that's never going to work out well. But these gatekeepers of information are still able to keep people in that position, usually without end. Because to the people on the extreme left, to the people most attached to the central narrative, that new, more middle position that people end up gravitating to as a Joe Rogan listener, a Tim Pool listener, a Ben Shapiro listener. That position is still called far right by certain outlets and by the extreme elements of the left and by people attached to the central narrative. These shows spread disinformation and conspiracy theories. And that's actually helpful to these shows because these shows seem to the general public as if they are pushing the boundaries of acceptable conversation in polite society in our country. And that's not true at all. They are in every way gatekeepers of information and people who get all their information from those sources are inevitably not going to understand what's going on because those hosts either don't understand what's going on or they won't address what's actually going on because for one reason or another, they're not allowed. Now, a lot of that is coming out when it comes to the Daily Wire, and we can see it represented in these other shows. And so what I said yesterday is that these people are either stupid or complicit. And you can say, well, they're not stupid. Maybe they just don't know these things. Maybe they haven't looked into them far enough. Maybe they're just ignorant. Well, if you host a show and your audience is millions of people large every day, you are constantly talking to millions of people and you haven't wondered whether or not election fraud happened. You didn't check. You don't have conversations about it on your show. Well, that's something beyond simple ignorance. You can't not know that issue is out there, especially with people who are on Twitter all the time, who have organizations doing research for them. And, you know, for Ben Shapiro, potentially writing his scripts, lining up his show every day. And the same holds true for vaccines or anything else. 
And so what I said in part of that conversation yesterday was that these people get made offers they can't refuse. And so I want to go into that a little bit more. The point is, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but this is the way that corruption and compromise happens. This is how people get corrupted and how people get compromised. And once they have gone to that point, well, then they have to continue doing what they're doing or their whole life is potentially destroyed. For some people, their life is ended. And this is one of the problems with the party of false decorum. If we're in a normal environment, a normal meritocracy where people are able to compete and the best people win, the best ideas win, then there's a pretty clear picture of how you climb the rungs of the ladder to success. But in the party of false decorum, it's not like that at all. In the party of false decorum, the way that you climb the rungs of the ladder of success the way you ascend through that hierarchy is making sure to impress the people on the rung above yours, and you don't really care much about the people on the rungs below. Now, at a certain point in the hierarchy, it's not good enough to simply impress people. Now, you still have to do that. Don't get me wrong. And if you do things that everyone in the party of false decorum recoils from, well, then you can be dropped down a few rungs on that ladder, a few levels in the hierarchy pretty quickly. That's what cancel culture is all about. That's what makes it so scary to so many people because they're playing that hierarchical game in the party of false decorum. If you get canceled, that's what it means to be dropped down within the party of false decorum. They're going to destroy your reputation. They're going to make it toxic to be around you or have conversations with you. And when people begin leaving you and you're isolated in the party of false decorum, well, at that point, you're pretty screwed. Sometimes they go all the way and they attempt to exile you from the party of false decorum. That's what the cancel culture is all about. That is the punishment for not obeying the state, the regime, the system, whatever is in there. You have to play the game in order to ascend. The better you play the game, the more you can ascend to a point. Because at a certain point, the incentives for ascending, if you are a scientific materialist, especially if you care about ego, if you care about power and status and wealth, well, there are going to be a lot of people competing for that same advance in power and status and wealth. And so there's a chance that you are redundant. There's a chance that there are a bunch of people all lined up to try to get the same thing. And this was very clear to me in Hollywood, because in Hollywood, of course, you have all of these actors trying out for one part. And there are times where a really great part comes up. It could be pilot season and there's a show that everybody knows is definitely going to get picked up for a full season, which means you have a job. And in this day and age, they usually do three year contracts or five year contracts. So you know that you have a really good chance of some serious employment security and some financial security for a long time. And you may not have ever had that before. And so everybody wants to be on that show. All the people that get auditions for that show. They really want to nail that one because if they get that one, then a big part of their dream immediately feels like it becomes true. And so we imagine that the way this process works is that actors will go in and they'll all audition and the casting director, the show's director, producers, maybe another actor who's in the room with them. They will all 
make that decision. This is the right person. This is the best actor. This is our person. And they'll go forward with that the meritocratic way. And of course, when you are making uh, visual art and you need performances and you need to reflect a certain image in your visual art, then if there are two people who are both talented, maybe one of them exactly fits in a physical way or uh, a personality way, what the director or the writer or whoever has envisioned for that part. They're like, this is the perfect person. These two people are both excellent actors. This person just fits the part more. And so that's not a part of the meritocracy necessarily, but it is absolutely still a germane consideration that makes sense within the context of what you're trying to produce. That's not the system malfunctioning. That's the system working in a way that most people understand is fair. And of course, that idea itself has been eroded over the last 10 years, but that's generally how it's supposed to work. But that's not always how it does work. Over time, casting directors and production companies began hiring people for the size of their social media following because they thought if this actor is in our project, they're going to have this wide advertising reach that is just going to happen naturally. They're going to promote the project they're in. And by virtue of doing that, they're going to promote our project. This is essentially free advertising, free marketing, and this is going to help our bottom line. So if you got two actors of similar talent, two actors of similar looks, then you can go down to this other level. Oh, this person's popularity is going to be more valuable to our production than the other person who is less popular. And if that actually worked, then that would seem like pretty fair play as well. A lot of people thought so at the time, at least. Turns out it didn't work at all. But you can go levels below that as well. And then you start getting into the party of false decorum stuff. And you can see it by reversing the perspective. Okay. All actors want this job, right? What do the producers want? Well, the producers know that they're going to get an actor who is appropriate for that role. And they know that they have unlimited choices because everyone wants the job. So then it becomes, well, what actor is going to do the most to get this job? And a lot of the time, to be fair, this affects females the most, but it affects men too. It's not only a problem for women in Hollywood, but that's the point at which there might be certain abuses within the system where a producer calls one of the actresses and says, I'm really thinking about you for this role. Let's go have dinner. And during that dinner, the producer plies the actress with drinks. They talk about how great she's going to be in the show. She thinks she's got it all wrapped up and the producer tries to take her home. And maybe that works and everything just goes smoothly and no one objects and no one ever says anything ever again. But that's not always how it goes. The producers know that they have this very valuable thing that they can hang over somebody's head. And all you have to do at that point, if you're that actress and you get that offer that night from that producer, if you sleep with that producer, you're going to have that TV show. Maybe you've been auditioning with no luck for five years, all the time. You go to your acting classes, you work in a, a restaurant or you're a barista or you work in a retail shop and you have this part-time job that just gets you by. And right now you are one decision away from having what you believe to be 
your dream career, and an opportunity of a lifetime that you simply cannot pass up. And so people are made in this situation to compromise themselves. Are you the sort of person who will do this with this prize being hung out in front of you? Is this career you've fought for, this career you've always dreamed of having, is it worth spending one night in bed with this producer? And this is essentially Harvey Weinstein's business model, by the way. But the thing is, there are a lot of people who are happy with that deal. They don't think of sex as anything. It doesn't matter who they have sex with. This particular sex being equal to all other sex gets you a job and potentially millions of dollars and your face on billboards. And maybe now you have a career. Maybe now you're famous and everybody who made fun of you in high school is going to be very, very jealous. But what if you say no? And what if the no isn't okay from the producer? What if the producer says, well, I'm going to destroy your reputation. No one in this town is ever going to hire you again. And if you even think about talking about this situation to anyone, I am going to destroy your career. And after that, I'm going to come after your family. But hey, just to show how good a guy I am, you still have the option of sleeping with me. And if you do, I guarantee you will have this show. You are going to be the star of your own show for five years. But if you say no, I'm going to destroy your career. Do you corrupt yourself in that situation? Do you take the compromise? This stuff happens with politicians too. Some private investigator has photographs of a politician cheating on their wife somewhere. Well, you're not going to just run to the news and expose the politician and that be that. Oh, I've outed him. These people aren't journalists. They're private investigators. They're doing someone's dirty work, right? So what you do is you take that evidence and you give it to the politician and say, hey, we have the evidence of you doing this. We would really like you to vote this way on this certain bill. And this is essentially exactly what happened with Lauren Boebert's opponent in the midterms, Adam Frisch from Colorado. Someone finds damaging information. They bring it to you. If you go along with what they're saying, now you are compromised. And that compromise doesn't just work once. It works until that compromise is released and they'll have you under their thumb until then or until you just bite the bullet and make a statement and try to do damage control and hope people will accept your apology. But a lot of people don't want to go that route because they don't want to deal with the shame and they don't want to be dropped down a few rungs in that hierarchical structure. And as long as they keep playing along and keep doing what they're told, they can continue to advance up in that hierarchical structure. Do what they say and you get rewarded. If you don't do what they say, your life is going to be destroyed. So it's not one or the other. It's not the carrot or the stick. It's the carrot and the stick all the time. The reward is there for people who play along. The punishment is there in case you stop playing along. And politicians can spend their entire lives in this situation. And the more corruption you engage in, the more evidence there is against you. The more compromising behaviors you're involved in that people can evidence, the further compromised you become to the point where someone eventually has full control over you. And that blackmail actually has a market. The blackmail can be purchased by other people. Oh, I control 
this congressman now. I control this senator now. I control this business leader now. And when you get up to the very top rungs of that hierarchy, the corrupt acts you need to engage in in order to continue ascending grow in the scale of corruption. And the depraved behaviors that get you compromised grow in the scale of depravity. So you're made an offer you can't refuse. And most people don't refuse it because they're scared of the punishment and they want the incentives. They just think about, oh, my life will be so much better if I just go along. I can buy all these things. I can go on these vacations. I'll have a beautiful house. My kids can go to a perfect school. And if I play along, then I'll never have to deal with all of this terrible behavior, all of this corruption and compromising behavior ever being made public. And I'll keep my position and my public image. So corruption and compromise, punishment and reward, an offer you can't refuse. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I put up a poll on Twitter yesterday. And naturally, some people just don't understand anything and get very, very upset. I don't find the question upsetting. I doubt you would either. And it got 750 odd votes which obviously isn't a huge vote total, but it's interesting nonetheless. Here's the question. Would you pretend your dead child was not dead for $10 million and in the face of threats on your life? You might be killed if you don't go along with it. And if you do, you get $10 million. Can you do it? Could you possibly lie about the death of your child if you were going to be rewarded massively to tell the lie while at the same time having your life threatened if you refuse to tell the lie. The simplest choice, obviously, if you don't have any moral apprehension when it comes to lying about the death of your child, is to take the money, tell the lie, you don't get killed, now you're rich, and you wipe your hands clean of the whole thing and try to go live a quiet life where no one asks too many questions. Now, a lot of people thought they really smoked out the reason why I was asking this question and that it had something to do with DeMar Hamlin. And of course, it does have to do with DeMar Hamlin, but it doesn't only have to do with DeMar Hamlin. And we can get into that in a few minutes. But let's talk about the DeMar Hamlin thing for a second. Let's talk about what we know, right? So the football player, Monday Night Football, DeMar Hamlin, goes to tackle the wide receiver of the Cincinnati Bengals, T. Higgins. Higgins lowers his shoulder, trying to gain a couple more yards and blast through the defender. DeMar Hamlin takes a shoulder to the chest. He springs up, takes a step, freezes, drops down on his back and basically stops moving. Over the course of the next few minutes, the NFL coverage switches back to their studio coverage. Everyone is all broken up about it. No one has any idea of what's going on. They go back to the stadium the players are all surrounding DeMar Hamlin and the medical workers in a circle on their knee. Many players are visibly crying. DeMar Hamlin, it is reported, was out for nine minutes and they revived him. An unmarked ambulance came on the field to take him away. We were told he was revived again. And then he was in the hospital for a time. He woke up. He said words. And then this Sunday, we were shown DeMar Hamlin attending the Bills divisional round playoff game against the Cincinnati Bengals 
in Buffalo. But let's backtrack for just a second. So the players are on the field, visibly crying. It is highly likely that they were told their teammate is dead. They all went back into their own locker rooms. And soon after the game was canceled, they didn't go back out onto the field. They didn't finish the game. That doesn't seem like what would happen if they got news within a few minutes that they had revived DeMar Hamlin. The NFL would have announced DeMar Hamlin is actually okay. There's a freak accident, but he has been revived. He's breathing. He's on the way to the hospital right now. We all say a prayer for DeMar Hamlin. And now we're going to finish the game because his teammates at that point would have been like, okay, DeMar's alive. If DeMar's alive, we're good to go. That's normal. Now, again, I'm predicting their behavior. I don't know that for sure. So let's take the cancellation of the game off the table just to be fair, right? But do we have any doubt that those players thought he was dead? Now, in the days after we were told that this is actually something that's, you know, not normal, but can totally happen. And it's called commotio cordis. And then all of a sudden, everybody's a commotio cordis expert and DeMar Hamlin suffered commotio cordis. That's what knocked him out. Thank goodness we were able to revive him. And it's definitely, definitely not the vax. But everybody around the nation knows it. Everybody saw it. Everybody's familiar with the idea of died suddenly. Most people have seen videos of soccer players and other athletes, basketball players collapsing on the field over the last couple of years at a rate no one has ever seen. And you'll see debunkings. Oh, this is actually very common. No, it's not. No, it's not common. Because if it was common, we would know about that happening all the time. In fact, when I was a kid, the Boston Celtics star Len Bias collapsed on the court and died. And that was said to be drug related. But that shocked the nation because that stuff doesn't happen. People don't just collapse on the field. These are highly conditioned professional athletes. And of course, some of them are amateurs as well. I understand. But that was a rare, rare occurrence. And as a sports fan who has watched sports constantly since I was a child until up to a few years ago, I've seen these sorts of incidents before. They are very rare and they are national news. I've seen players paralyzed on the football field before. There has never been anything like what's happening now. So when that happened to Hamlin, the an obvious potential conclusion is that the COVID vaccine that NFL players were by and large forced to get may have had something to do with it. And that may have hurt his heart. And that may be what caused DeMar Hamlin to collapse on the field. Now, in the following days, it was reported that the NFL sent a letter to all the teams, all the players saying, do not address this situation publicly. And to my knowledge, virtually no player has. And let's think about why. Well, the NFL is on the line. The pharma companies are on the line. All of the NFL's partner corporations are on the line. Global governing bodies who have pushed the vaccine worldwide are all on the line. This happened in a live sporting event on Monday Night Football broadcast across the nation and was everywhere 
the next day in the news. There is no avoiding some knowledge of the DeMar Hamlin situation. So what they did was immediately go into damage control. Okay, these are multi-billion dollar transnational entities, depending on the outcome of this new PR campaign that they have to launch to manage this situation. We've heard very little conversation about the vaccine. We've heard very little information about the cause of DeMar Hamlin's collapse. We haven't heard official words on all these things. We just get announcements like, hey, DeMar Hamlin's doing just fine now. Hey, look at this picture of DeMar Hamlin in his hospital bed. His two parents are sitting right next to them. Their faces are covered in masks. And DeMar Hamlin is making his little heart sign right in front of his face. We were told that when DeMar Hamlin woke up, finally, he said, did we win? It's like a storybook, isn't it? But what else has happened around the outside that's just not so organic? Well, a GoFundMe was set up for DeMar Hamlin's charity, and that's raised like $10 million. And some Buffalo sculptor made a snow sculpture of DeMar Hamlin. A mural of DeMar Hamlin making his little heart sign was painted on the side of a building. DeMar Hamlin went and took a picture with that. His face totally covered again. And the caption was clone. Is that a joke? Because people don't believe that this is DeMar Hamlin. Well, hey, maybe, maybe he's very, very funny. He also retweeted, quote tweeted a tweet from Governor Kathy Hochul of New York, the person who replaced Andrew Cuomo and then stole her election in the midterms. She wrote on January 19th, this morning, I spoke with DeMar Hamlin and let him know that the hopes and prayers of 20 million New Yorkers have been with him throughout his recovery. His story is truly an inspiration. Love for DeMar. And then she puts a little three emoji. And DeMar Hamlin responded in the quote tweet and said, nice meeting you and puts up the little heart hands emoji and says, excited to see how our collaborations in the future will help and affect so many. DeMar Hamlin is going to be working on some project with the communist illegitimate governor and COVID authoritarian Kathy Hochul from New York. The dude, by all accounts, should not be living. And if he is, it's amazing he is. What a miraculous recovery, like everyone was praying for. Hallelujah. All good. But if you don't think all this stuff is weird, I don't know what to tell you. At the game on Sunday, ESPN and the Buffalo Bills both posted videos supposedly of DeMar Hamlin. One of them was his entrance that he made without his family. He just had a couple of guys with him. He was fully covered, head to toe, hood up, sunglasses on, and one of those masks that go down beneath your chin. I think they're called neck gaiters, but maybe that's wrong. And he turns a corner and disappears into an elevator. He kept his head down the whole time, his face away from the cameras the whole time. Looked like someone in Hollywood, a celebrity coming up to a nightclub or an event. The paparazzi are outside. The celebrity doesn't want to deal with the paparazzi. So you have your face covered, your head down, and you go on in. The other video was from one of the luxury boxes in the stadium. And Damar Hamlin is still in full dress, covered head to toe, winter clothes, neck gaiter, sunglasses, and he is kind of riling up 
the Buffalo Stadium. He's waving his arms. And then at the end, he puts his hands together above his head in what looks to be a triangle. He makes a triangle with his two hands up above his head. We are told by people who don't think about these things at all that that is just him making heart hands, but his thumbs are pretty straight across. Make of it what you will. Then he flips his hands around, puts up his last three fingers on both hands with his thumb and forefinger making a circle, and that's up three, three each hand because he's number three. You get it? But to this day, we still have not seen DeMar Hamlin's face, and we haven't heard him talk. Why not? Why isn't that stuff happening? If he can go watch the game with his family, if he can wave his arms, if he can make those signals, where is the interview of this man? Don't people want to know what's happening to him? Wouldn't that be enormous ratings for any television network that puts him on? Well, the answer to all those questions is yes, of course, that would be huge, but that hasn't happened. And so people will ask questions as they have every right to do, because at every single point of this story, we have essentially been lied to or deceived or manipulated with the narrative. We know there is a PR effort going on. We know it is strictly controlled. We know that PR effort has billions or hundreds of billions on the line and potentially criminal charges and prosecution for people involved in pushing what most people now believe to be a deadly bioweapon. So they have ample reason to cover this story up and make sure no one actually knows the true version. If the true version is DeMar Hamlin died on that field or even the softer version, DeMar Hamlin is still alive just as we see him in public, but that his heart was injured from taking the vaccine. And while everything we saw really is what happened, they have just kept a lid on the messaging to preserve their own interests. That is the best case for the NFL at this point. And I imagine they'll ride the PR aspects of this all the way through the Super Bowl. After the Super Bowl, the nation will not be paying the same level of attention. They can say that DeMar Hamlin is all good, but he's retiring because it's unsafe for him to continue his career, something with the heart, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe they just move him into a different area of life and he just kind of goes quietly off the radar and no one ever talks about Damar Hamlin ever again. No one thinks about him again. We find out what really happened maybe in four or five months, everyone's forgotten about it. It's a two-day news story, and we got a couple months, and then the next NFL season starts. The NFL is not too violent. The NFL doesn't have a problem with vaccinated athletes. The vaccine has no problems. Everything is all good and fine, and the NFL and all of these multi-billion dollar transnational corporations have run their PR campaign perfectly. Everything has gone well. No one got hurt. Everyone gets a bonus. But what if that's not what happened? What if that's not what happened? What if DeMar Hamlin did die? Okay. And I know this is one of those touchy subjects that people get very sensitive about. And I understand, but we are in an environment where we get lied to about absolutely everything. And if you're not willing to explore these topics, then you're going to miss stuff. That's just how it is. And I'm sorry. I wish we could all be sensitive about everything all the time, but that's not the world we live in. 
So let's talk about the reality we exist in as it's being told to us. And that is what's happening. We are being shown a TV show about DeMar Hamlin. This is the show we are allowed to watch. You can't watch any other show. This show has all of the details that we are showing you and absolutely no other details. So don't think about any other details. Just accept what we are telling you. You saw DeMar Hamlin's family right next to him, sitting there in chairs next to his hospital bed. Sure, DeMar's face was covered and his parents were both masked for some reason in January 2023. But there's no way anything could possibly be wrong. Just accept it. He's alive. His family members are right there. They would never lie about such a thing. Which brings me back to my poll question on Twitter. 77% of people said no, they could never lie about their dead child, even for a lot of money and even in the face of significant threats. Now, some people in the comments were like, anyone who says no to this is lying. I don't believe that's true. I believe the people who said no probably are concerned that they have to attempt to go to sleep every night, knowing that they're lying to the world about their dead child. And maybe they have a God to answer to and the God they answer to wouldn't appreciate that sort of lie about their loved ones. Now, maybe people just have the pragmatic concerns. And so they would say yes. And there's nothing we can do to bring my child back. So we're going to make the best of this situation. And the truth is we don't want to talk about it anyway. So we're fine staying silent. We're not going to deal with the threats on the one side. We will accept the reward on the other side. And we're just going to go on and try to have a nice life after this. And hey, okay. The purpose of the poll was not for me to judge the results, but we have somewhere between one fifth and a quarter of people saying that they would be willing to lie about the death of a family member for that reward and to avoid that punishment. And the people in those situations likely believe they've been made an offer they can't refuse. The reward is too great. The punishment is too severe. There's no way in the world I'm going to pass up that reward while subjecting myself to such severe punishment. Now, the punishment is hypothetical in that situation. You can believe it's real. You can know that the people threatening you have threatened other people and ended those people's lives or destroyed their lives, destroyed their reputations, whatever it is. You can believe it's very real and you can still say no in the face of that. And probably the best way to handle that is by sharing those threats as publicly as possible. So everybody knows you're being threatened, which takes away some of the power of the people threatening you. But let's put that aside because I think you get the point. Would someone make this decision if the NFL and Pfizer and all the corporate giants and whoever else calls up DeMar Hamlin's family and says, hey, here's all this money from you. You got this GoFundMe? There's $10 million in there right now. You want that? You can have it. And maybe here's some other money as well. And the thing is, you are not going to say anything about this, because if you say something about this, this might compromise the NFL. This might compromise the entire vaccine rollout, which compromises basically the entire global regime's agenda. And so you got a couple options. We're going to destroy your life or you can be very rich. And all you have to do is just go along with this stuff for about two months. Just get through the NFL playoffs, through the Super Bowl. We're going to quiet things down at that point, and then we'll roll out the new story. And then at that point, 
You can have your peace. You're going to have your $10 million and we are not going to come after you. But what we need from you right now is total silence for two months. And you know what? You're going to sign an NDA. So for the rest of your life, you can't say anything about this stuff because the thing is, the story's not just going to go away. You think, well, I got to make it through two months. But the truth is you have to make it through the rest of your life. So would someone do that? And a lot of people responded. This is a really unique situation. And I said, no, it's not. This stuff happens all the time. This is exactly how the corruption and compromise system works. The reward and the punishment, the carrot and the stick. Do you want the nice life you've already dreamed of? And do you want it easier than you could possibly ever imagine? Or do you want us to destroy whatever life it is you have right now? Now remove this from Hamlin completely. Does this happen elsewhere? Well, we were told that Officer Brian Sicknick was bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher and the Democrat Communist Party, the regime in, you know, power right now trots Brian Sicknick's mom out so that she can attest to the fact that Brian Sicknick was killed by MAGA extremists in the very violent insurrection. We know that's not true, but she's still doing it. And why is she still doing it? I don't know her character. I'm not trying to besmirch her character. And I have a lot of sympathy for her loss. I really, really do. Because stories I've read about Brian Sicknick make it sound like he's a great guy. And here's the thing. I'm not saying she just took a bunch of money to do this. Her life could be in grave danger. And I would feel very sad for her at that point. But there's something else going on there. Because there's no way in the world that Brian Sicknick's mom thinks Brian Sicknick was bludgeoned to death as part of the very violent insurrection. That is just impossible. She can't possibly think that, but she's going along with the story anyway. Why is that? Again, I'm not saying she's a bad person or that she's doing something horrible. I'm saying we can't know what pressures were put on her to lead her to do something like this that seems so blatantly dishonest. And I'm saying there's no reason to think that something like this is rare. Something like this may well be far more common than we imagine. We know, for instance, that throughout COVID, families could get paid $9,000 in funeral expenses if they allowed the medical provider to mark COVID as the cause of death. Now, that's not a lot of money in the long run, but for families who were struggling, who were unemployed, who were not essential workers throughout COVID, Maybe that amount of money made a huge difference in their lives and they were accepting of that trade-off. Maybe they were just like, yeah, fine, market, whatever. Yeah, it's COVID, fine. It's still the same decision on a much smaller scale. And parallel decisions to that are made by people all the time. And so that's why I asked this question, because people think his family members are there so there's no way they could be lying. Therefore, all of the inconsistencies of this story, all of the uh, manipulation and misdirection in this story, all of that doesn't matter now. None of that stuff is evidence of anything because his family members are there and there's no way in the world that his family members would do this unless that was really DeMar Hamlin and he was alive and everybody's telling the truth. So now just ignore it. But sadly, that's just not how it works. 
Now, last night, a video of a podcast came out where the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, was addressing this very question. So listen to this. This is from a podcast called Kyle Brandt's Basement. It's about the NFL. And the host, Kyle Brandt, is wearing a hat with a 17 on it, likely because Josh Allen's number is 17. So Newsweek, New York Post, and other outlets are running stories about a DeMar Hamlin conspiracy theory in which people are suggesting that he was not at the game on Sunday and that it was some sort of body double conspiracy cover-up that goes on and on and on into the tinfoil hat territory. Would you like to debunk that conspiracy theory or maybe confirm it? Yeah, that's that's stupid. Um, <laughs> that you said, main like there's mainstream media outlets pushing this. There's mainstream media outlets. There's people with like really legitimate heavy followings who are saying the fix is in. Um, that was not Demar. His face was covered. He had sunglasses. He had a hat. When they went to him on CBS, you couldn't see him. And that there's this next level conspiracy that that was actually not Demar Hamlin at the game. They're saying it. One, that's that's Demar swag. That's what he like. He was wearing that. Um, two, he was in the locker room with us pregame. So yes, that was Demar. There's absolutely zero <laughs> chance. There's absolutely zero chance. That's okay, the good. Demar Hamlin. That's our guy. That's uh, our brother. He was with us pregame, postgame. He was up in the suite with his family, his little brother, 100%. So people need to stop. I got it. Stop this. So there you have it. Josh Allen, the quarterback, saying that is Demar Hamlin. Look, he's wearing all of Demar Hamlin's clothes, just like Demar Hamlin would do. And he was also in the locker room with us before and after the game. So we can take Josh Allen at his word and assume that he is not involved in some conspiracy to hide DeMar Hamlin's death. Or we can pick apart the nervousness in his response and that the fact that you mention his clothes first is not really an overwhelming endorsement of him being alive. But the question was weird and the answer was weird. Hey, there's this conspiracy theory out there. It's floating around and it's even being picked up by big outlets now. Can you knock this conspiracy theory down or agree with it? And so he very casually says, oh, that's definitely DeMar Hamlin. This is a stupid conspiracy theory. And I hope people stop. And maybe that's all that needs to be said. If Josh Allen wants to vouch for DeMar Hamlin, then wonderful. Josh Allen may well be telling the truth and I'm not going to sit here and say that he's lying. But that doesn't change how weird and manipulated and misdirected and falsified the rest of the story is. So let's say DeMar Hamlin's alive. Let's just accept DeMar Hamlin's alive. Stop thinking maybe DeMar Hamlin's dead. What is the real story and why aren't we being told it? A lot of people think that this entire effort was generated to make anti-vaxxers sound crazy. And maybe there's something to that. Everyone would assume it's the vaccine. Everyone would talk about how the vaccine just killed DeMar Hamlin. Oh, look at that. Turns out DeMar Hamlin's alive. It wasn't the vaccine that killed him because he's not dead. And so all of you anti-vaxxers sound nuts. And I'm not going to totally discount that. Something like that could be very, very effective to make all of the died suddenlies sound like conspiracy theories 
all at one time. Are these people evil geniuses that could navigate a narrative like that to its conclusion? Hey, maybe, probably not, but maybe, maybe we'll find out more. And again, after the Super Bowl, something is going to happen that explains the DeMar Hamlin story, and then we can work on it from there. But in the meantime, something else very strange is still happening. And that strangeness is coming from places we know not to trust because they will lie about absolutely anything. They lied about lockdowns and masks. They lied about mail-in ballots and the election. They lied about the insurrection. They lie about immigration and inflation and recession. They lie about the war in Ukraine and whether or not there are Nazis there. They pretend Ukraine can win the war, even though there is no chance of that happening. They will literally lie about anything They will absolutely lie about anything when multiple billions of dollars are on the line and entire organizational structures involved in the global regime are on the line. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind. There should be no doubt in anyone else's mind. This is absolutely something they would do. And so a week or so after the DeMar Hamlin story, well, then we get news that the CDC and the FDA are going to investigate strokes as a result of the vaccine. And they do their little investigation for like two days and they come out and say, hey, there's no strokes from the vaccine. Don't worry. Well, at the same time, Naomi Wolf at dailyclout.io, she has a team that she's put together, uh, professionals, attorneys, doctors, scientists, and then just ordinary citizens, many of them from the war room audience who continually watches her on War Room, and they've gotten together and they analyze the uh, Pfizer documents from before the vaccine came out. And they know that that stroke risk has existed from day one. And that's the same for the heart risks and for the reproductive risks and for everything else. If you're not familiar with the work that Naomi Wolf is doing on the vaccines, go to dailyclout.io, watch the videos, read the articles, see for yourself. So you have the DeMar Hamlin thing out there that casts doubt on people's understanding of the vaccine safety. No matter how that story goes, the conversation has already started. The conversation is being had. The reveal, the trick that they might be attempting to play on us is not going to work because people have already gone through that stuff and have begun to understand it. Then they get the CDC FDA stroke stuff the next week. And then the week after that, we begin hearing about how Trump is responsible for the vaccines and he must renounce them immediately. And so those three narrative lines play together in my mind. This is the time where the nation is really publicly beginning to doubt the safety and effectiveness of the vaccine. Well, we can't have that blamed on the pharma companies or blamed on the science. So let's shift that blame to Donald Trump, saddle him with the vaccine blame, and they will say, well, it's because Donald Trump rushed the vaccine and he didn't trust the science. If it hadn't been Donald Trump in there, we would have waited longer and a better vaccine would have come out. So what you need to do is abandon Donald Trump forever and go back to trusting the science. Now, is this all an extravagant attempt at narrative manipulation and narrative preservation by people we know are committed to those exact things and committed to their project so much that they would lie about literally anything. Well, it definitely could be. And that's why we should be skeptical on both ends of this. Do not accept the central narrative story. The underlying fact 
of whether or not Damar Hamlin is alive is entirely separate from the narrative, right? They can run this narrative like they are running it exactly as they are running it, regardless of whether or not Damar Hamlin is alive. Everything that has happened in this narrative could have happened either way. And that's the point. It doesn't mean that DeMar Hamlin is definitely dead. It means that the narrative is obviously false. And when people say no one could ever do that, well, the truth is that people could do that, especially if they actually do fear the punishment and they actually do desire the reward. People get made offers they believe they can't refuse all the time, particularly when you are ascending through hierarchies within the party of false decorum. And I would suggest to you that is exactly what happens to our politicians as well. It's not even a taboo topic most of the time. We're just usually talking about things that are on a lower level than massive multi-million dollar payoffs and potentially death or the destruction of someone's reputation when the conversation is being had in the mainstream. We talk all the time about how politicians are influenced to vote one way or another because of campaign donations and other financial ties. And no one bats an eye about that. Everyone just understands that's how this works. Now, it's not supposed to work, and people on our side don't want that stuff to happen anymore. But that is what happens. They get the reward on one side. Hey, we're going to further fund your campaign. And we know that that money is going to get back to you. We know you're going to stay in Congress if you win your campaign, and then you'll have a lot more opportunities to make money and a lot more opportunities to wield influence. And hey, if you play all your cards right, maybe one day you're going to get to be a senator. Maybe one day you could be governor. Maybe one day you could be president. And then after that, you can just sit on the board of Raytheon or do the thing that we don't want you to do. And we'll make sure that you have no campaign funding from anyone. Your career in public office is over. And if we have any corruption in your past, we will out that to the media. If you have any compromise in your past, we are going to put that out online. And not only is your career going to be destroyed, but your reputation is going to be destroyed as well. You will not be able to walk into a restaurant without people giving you dirty looks, staring at you, coming up to your table saying, Oh, you're the dirtbag who did X, Y, Z. And all of that is very effective. In fact, that's basically how our system functions and why so many people will go along with election fraud and why so many people will go along with obviously harmful COVID mitigation policies. It's why they'll go along with continuing to say that the vaccine is good and you should get your boosters, even though the vaccine's not good and you don't need a booster and the vaccines don't do anything to protect you from a disease that already can't kill you. Corruption and compromise, reward and punishment, the carrot and the stick all together at the same time. You do what you're supposed to, you get the carrot, you avoid the stick. If you don't do what you're supposed to, well, you don't get the carrot and you're going to get the stick. Which one of those options is better? It's not just carrot or no carrot, stick or no stick. It's two of them in combination. You choose which one. It's either the all good option or the all bad option. It's an offer you can't refuse. And so let's revisit the Speaker of the House elections from a couple of weeks ago. We thought that Kevin McCarthy is the sort of person who has been part of that system and has played the corruption and compromise game 
for many years, always accepting the carrot and avoiding the stick rather than doing what's right. That was our take on Kevin McCarthy, and it may actually be an accurate picture of Kevin McCarthy. It's possible that it was an accurate picture before something changed and he is no longer that person. It's also possible that all that stuff happened before and he is exactly the same man he always has been right now. And that Donald Trump's endorsement of him and Donald Trump manipulating that entire election from both sides to put Kevin McCarthy in that position has some other purpose that is under control regardless of of what Kevin McCarthy's current personality is, and regardless of whether or not he is still corrupted or still compromised. All of these things are possible. But as I said in my coverage of the House Speaker race, it seems to me like we might have just been wrong about Kevin McCarthy in his past, or we could be right about Kevin McCarthy in his past and have not realized that Kevin McCarthy is, in fact, someone different now. And this speech from yesterday from Kevin McCarthy addressing reporters may well lead you to one of those positions. He's being asked about why he made sure that Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff couldn't be placed on the House Intelligence Committee because both of them are extraordinary liars extraordinarily compromised, quite possibly involved in treason, and absolutely threats to national security. Here's Kevin McCarthy. Intel committee. Is, is Santos on the Intel committee? Am I allowing shift am I allowing shift to be on other committees? Go right ahead. Well, let me be very. So, okay. Let, let me be very clear and respectful to you. You ask me a question. When I answer it, it's the answer to your question. You don't get to determine whether I answer your question or not. Okay? In all respect. Thank you. No, no. Let's answer her question. You just raised a question. I'm going to be very clear with you. The Intel Committee is different. You know why? Because what happens in the Intel Committee, you don't know. What happens in the Intel Committee, although the secrets are going on in the world, other members of Congress don't know. What did Adam Schiff do as the chairman of the Intel Committee? What Adam Schiff did, use his power as a chairman and lie to the American public. Even the Inspector General said it. When Devin Nunes put out a memo, he said it was false. When we had a laptop, he used it before an election to be politics and say that it was false and said it was the Russians. When he knew different, when he knew the Intel, if you talk to... Um, John Radcliffe, DNI, he came out ahead of time and says there's no intel to prove that, and he used his position as chairman, knowing he has information the rest of America does not, and lied to the American public. When a whistleblower came forward, he said he, he did not know the individual, even though his staff had met with him and set it up. So no, he does not have a right to sit on that. But I will not be like Democrats and play politics with these, where they removed Republicans from committees and all committees. So yes, he can serve on a committee, but he will not serve on intel because it goes to the national security of America. And I will always put them first, all right? 
And if you want to talk about Swalwell, let's talk about Swalwell. Because you have not had the briefing that I had. I had the briefing and Nancy Pelosi had the briefing from the FBI. The FBI never came before this Congress to tell the leadership of this Congress that Eric Swalwell had a problem with a Chinese spy until he served on Intel. So it wasn't just us who were concerned about it. The FBI was concerned about putting a member of Congress on the Intel Committee that has the rights to see things that others don't because of his knowledge and relationship with a Chinese spy. They brought it to the works of the leaders. I've got that briefing. So I do not believe he should sit on there, that committee. And I believe there's 200 other Democrats that can serve on that committee. So this has nothing to do with Santos. Santos is not on the Intel Committee. But you know what? Those voters elected Schiff, even though he lied. Those voters elected Swalwell, even though he lied to the American public too. So you know what? I'll respect his voters too, and they'll serve on committees, but they will not serve on a place that has national security reverence because integrity matters to me. Now that's about as well as that can be handled. And he told that member of the media exactly the right thing that she doesn't get to change this around into a story about how he won't answer her question. He's answering her question. She's not getting the answer that she wants, that she can print to get the narrative they want to conform to the reality in front of them. But that doesn't mean that he has to answer again. Now, he talked extensively there about Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell. These are two of the most corrupt and most compromised public figures that we've seen in decades. They are definitely in the top hundred, I would think. There are so many right now, honestly, that it's hard to rank them. But Adam Schiff used the imprimatur of his position on the Intel Committee to go out to cable news and tell the country that he knew certain things for sure that proved Donald Trump did collude with Russia and a million other things. Swalwell was literally having a sexual relationship with a Chinese spy and then facilitated certain jobs for her. These people both participated in the fake impeachments of Donald Trump. They participated in the insurrection narrative and Shifty was even on the fake and totally illegitimate January 6th committee. These people are extensively involved in multiple efforts to take down a sitting duly elected American president in Donald Trump. And naturally, we hope one day they will face accountability for all of this espionage treason. It's totally possible. But why were they on the Intel committee in the first place? Why would Nancy Pelosi put them there? Why would anyone put them there knowing that they are corrupt, knowing that they are compromised? Oh, it's because they're corrupt and compromised, which means that they are totally under control all the time. So if you were the global regime or a foreign adversary and you had the information that allowed you to control these people, well, that's exactly who you'd want on the Intel Committee because they can communicate all of those state secrets directly back to you. And most people used to think that this sort of thing is impossible. No American politician would be selling our secrets to our foreign adversaries or to the global regime. Well, it turns out that quite a lot of them are. 
totally possible and maybe even likely at this point to believe that we have direct evidence of Joe and Hunter Biden doing exactly that. So on the politicians end, maybe the corruption and the compromise are the result of them taking an offer that they didn't think they could refuse. But from the people making that offer, once they have accepted one of those offers, well, now they are owned. Now they are controlled. Now these people are actually just vessels to facilitate that espionage, to facilitate the exchange of state secrets. And as long as they keep going, they get to keep advancing. Adam Schiff really thinks that he is going to leave Congress and then go to California and run for Senate. And hey, California's got a whole lot of election fraud. Maybe you get Adam Schiff right back into the Senate. And hey, if we don't take over the Senate, well, maybe Chuck Schumer's still there running it. Or maybe Mitch McConnell is still there running it. And one of those guys puts Adam Schiff right back on the Senate Intelligence Committee and the process just keeps moving along. What's important is that all of these people are controlled in generally the same way by generally the same people and they can just move their little parts around where they need them so they get what they need. And of course, for people like Schiff and Swalwell, well, they have to still be valuable to the people who own them. If they're no longer able to disseminate America's state secrets to foreign adversaries and the global regime, well, then they're not valuable at all. So their compromising information no longer matters to the people who own that information and who control them because they're no longer able to extract value from these people. And that's when things get dangerous. Whatever compromising information is held on these people is no longer worth it. So. The people who hold it no longer care about protecting these individuals, using the media to run interference and maintain these people's reputations. And that's when things can fall apart. And that's when people start panicking. In addition to Schiff and Swalwell, McCarthy is also keeping Ilhan Omar off of the Foreign Relations Committee. And again, that is something that should absolutely happen. So these three losers decided to have a press conference today in the House. Take a listen. Congressman Adam Schiff, and we want to uh, briefly address uh, the Speaker's decision to remove Mr. Swalwell and myself uh, from the Intelligence Committee, as well as his continuing threat uh, to call a vote uh, to remove Ilhan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, I'm joined, uh, of course, by my colleagues, Eric Swalwell and Ilhan Omar. Uh, let me just begin, if I can, uh, to make a few observations about the decision on the Intelligence Committee and then hand it off to my colleagues. Um, this decision by Kevin McCarthy to bow to the demands of the most extreme elements of his conference uh, and use the Intelligence Committee as this kind of political uh, plaything doesn't show the strength uh, of his speakership. Indeed, it shows the weakness of his speakership, uh, that he is so beholden uh, to the most extreme uh, elements of his conference. Uh, and it bodes, I think, uh, poorly for how he'll conduct uh, the remainder of his speakership for however long or short that may last. Um, but more uh, to the point, by arrogating to himself the decision about who on the Democratic side of the aisle uh, should lead the Intelligence Committee, who should sit on the Intelligence Committee, um, he will cause the intelligence agencies, I think, to distrust 
this uh, action and uh, in combination with the formation of this so-called Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, which ostensibly will have access to classified information, uh, it will only, I think, breed distrust within the intelligence community as to uh, what it can share and what it can feel confident about sharing with the Congress. Uh, that will impact policymakers in terms of the information that we have to make decisions about how to protect our national security. Uh, so uh, this is, I think, not an unexpected but nonetheless destructive move by Kevin McCarthy uh, that will bode well, uh, that will bode ill uh, in the future for the kind of decisions that he has to make to placate the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Paul Gosars, uh, and of course uh, his boss down in Mar-a-Lago, the disgraced former president. So I'm sorry if that was a bit difficult to hear. I know the audio is a little quiet, but Adam Schiff right there was saying Kevin McCarthy shouldn't have made this decision because this is going to make things hard on the intelligence agencies. He's protecting the FBI and the CIA. They might be less willing to share their information with the Congress. Oh, it's a national security danger to everyone else not to have Schiff and Swalwell on that committee. Now, no one in the world could possibly believe that. So what's going on here? Well, he's trying to justify his own existence as an asset to the intelligence community or whoever else it is has his compromise and is holding it over their head. He still needs to be valuable. This sounds like panic. Last night, he tweeted, Kevin McCarthy just kicked me and Representative Swalwell off the Intelligence Committee. This is petty political payback for investigating Donald Trump. If he thinks this will stop me, he will soon find out just how wrong he is. I will always defend our democracy. And sure you will. Why are you threatening the Speaker of the House? Because you didn't get the committee assignment you want. Isn't that just kind of a little extreme? I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they claimed she was involved in the very violent insurrection. But that whole story was nonsense. Paul Gosar got kicked off committees because he posted a cartoon on Twitter that they said was very, very threatening and threatening violence nonetheless. Here's Eric Swalwell panicking from the same press conference. Even though we have said publicly these smears are bringing death threats. He continues to do it, which makes us believe that there's an intent behind it. But we will not be quiet. We're not going away. I think he'll regret giving all three of us more time on our hands. But at the end of the day, our mission now is to restore the credibility and integrity of this institution of which the speaker has so gravely, so gravely smashed and destroyed. So not only is Kevin McCarthy wrong in what he's saying, wrong in the way he's portraying Schiff and Swalwell, even though the evidence suggests he is exactly right about Schiff and Swalwell, he's also putting their lives in jeopardy. They get death threats because of those claims, which happen to be true, by the way, unlike the death threats, which is just something that communists say. When they don't like what's happening. Oh, I'm getting death threats for this thing that's been said about me. No, people are saying that you should be tried for treason and treated accordingly because they believe with 
ample evidence that you have committed treason. That's what they're saying. You're not getting death threats. No one's coming and trying to kill you. But that's the claim. That's what Kevin McCarthy is doing wrong. He needs to stop saying these things because these things he's saying are causing us to get death threats. That sounds like panic. And hey, if someone actually is threatening these people's lives, I would bet it's the people who control their compromise. And here's the thing. Maybe it all is a conspiracy theory, right? Maybe DeMar Hamlin is absolutely just fine and everybody's telling the truth. Sure doesn't seem like it, but maybe. Maybe Schiff and Swalwell aren't traitors to their country and liars who have exploited their position on the Intel Committee. But it sure doesn't seem that way. The thing is, in the normie sphere, people are unwilling to consider other possibilities, other explanations for truly mysterious and unknowable circumstances until an authoritative source tells them that's possible or until everybody else proves it beyond whatever standard of proof is required for said normie. And they will not engage in any conversation to the contrary because they believe it simply isn't possible that people don't act like that. But people do act like that. They act in exactly the ways I've described. People are more than happy to be dishonest about things in their own lives simply for shame or for relationships within their social circles or with people at work. People will compromise the truth for themselves in the most minute of situations if they're the kinds of people with the weak personalities and weak spirits who will allow that. Are we really going to pretend that an incentive and punishment structure at a much, much higher level where you're playing in the major leagues of these kinds of decisions? On one hand, you can be spectacularly wealthy and continue rising in prominence and power. And on the other hand, your life can be destroyed. It turns out that people will do a lot of things you don't believe people can do. And hey, it doesn't always mean they're a terrible person. They might just be weak. They might just be intimidated. They might be traumatized and think that the easy choice will get them out of their trauma quicker. There are all sorts of ways to explain this stuff. The point is that it does happen and it happens at the highest levels. And that stuff impacts our society and our culture. And it certainly impacts our politics and it certainly impacts our national security. Because these offers you can't refuse always come with that hidden cost and that hidden cost you'll be paying forever. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you soon 
out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!